If you've ever had a desire to build a business that sells products on the internet, my guest today is an e-commerce expert and he'll be sharing his skills and knowledge of how to build a business that successfully engages customers and sells products online. Welcome to the podcast for men who are ready to lead their most expansive and courageous lives. Thank you for joining us on this adventure where we'll be questioning old paradigms and architecting new ways to live, laugh, and love. I'm Gareth Pickery. And I'm Matt Dazi. We believe that your story could contain the key that unlocks someone else's healing. So we connect with humans from all walks of life as they share their journeys from chaos to courage. So if you're ready to experience the ease and flow that come from living an expansive and well-crafted life, you're in the right place. This is the Call to Courage podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. I'm really glad that you've joined us today. And before I get into the introduction of today's guest, I want to share a goal that we've set at Father's Sons Brothers. We've set an objective to have 10,000 men attend our weekly men's circle. Over the last few years, the time that I've spent inside spaces where I've been able to share and to be able to hold space for other men and have what we call courageous conversations has been deeply, deeply meaningful. A courageous conversation means to speak from the heart. The original definition of courage means to speak from the heart. And every single time I've been in a space where I'm continually in my weekly men's circle, where I get to share what's genuinely allowed for me and be accepted without judgment from the men inside the circle feels like a massive relief. And it's hugely healing to be able to have that space to unpack whatever's happening in my world at the moment and have the support of the men inside the circle. In addition to being able to share and be received, when I'm inside a circle and I hear somebody else share something, so often I recognize that men are dancing and sometimes battling with similar themes. And just the recognition that we all have similar challenges in itself is super, super healing as well. And so for that reason, we are committed to having courageous conversations on this podcast, as well as inside the King Circle, and are excited to continue to grow our engagement inside the circle and get to 10,000 men inside the circle. At the moment, we have done nine circles. We've had a total of 91 men show up, and we're on our way to 10,000. So if you're interested in connecting to a global tribe of authentic men who are ready to start living the change that they want to see in the world, join the next King Circle. They happen every Thursday. And in addition to the sharing part of the circle, we also introduce and invite special guests to show up and teach us something that they're an expert in. So each circle, you have the opportunity to connect with this global tribe, but also the opportunity to learn something new from a subject matter expert about something that you can install and support in your life right now. To join the King Circle, go to fatherssonsbrothers.com forward slash circle or check out the link in the show notes. My guest today is a serial entrepreneur and e-commerce expert, Warwick Kearns. In this episode, we chat about his practices for starting a new business and you'll get some real advice which will help you save time as well as how to generate revenue quicker 
If you're looking to start a business on the internet that sells products, we share some useful insights. We talk about the role of coaches. We discuss the e-commerce industry and we reminisce about a wild 5,000 kilometer bike ride through Africa. So without further ado, please welcome Warwick Kearns. Hello and welcome to the Call to Courage podcast. I'm Gareth and my guest today is Warwick Kearns. How's it, Warwick Kearns? Gareth, Gareth Pickering, all good on my side. How are you? Golden, thank you. Um, woke up early to be able to chat to you in South Africa, but um, it feels good to connect with you again. How are things going? How's uh, you recently lost your grand? Um, my condolences, bros. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we just came back from the the memorial yesterday. The it was uh, the day before, and yeah, so she was ninety one, and a big part of my life. I'm very. Um, very lucky to have grown up with a lot of my grandparents still around until I was like mid to late thirties. And, um, mm-hmm. sadly now my last grandparent has passed, but, um, she had a good innings and she was quite sickly at the end. So in a way, um, nobody was sad. It wasn't sad to see her go. It was more of a relief for her, but, um, at the same time, it is always sad to lose anybody like that in your life. Hmm. And she got to meet miles before she transitioned. Yes and no. So Miles was about, uh, my little boy was about eight weeks when she, when she passed on, but um, she was in ICU in hospital. And although okay. we were trying to find a way to put her in a wheelchair and take her outside the hospital to meet the kid, um, okay. that wasn't allowed. It wasn't, it wasn't reasonable or sensible. And at the same okay. time, the doctor just said, it's not a good idea to take a young baby into an ICU ward. So right. she, she kind of saw him on video calls and saw lots of pictures. And, um, but sadly they didn't meet that, that would have been great. Hmm. How's that adventure been being a dad? It's your first. Yeah. So it depends like, um, when people ask me this question depends like that. <laughs> my, my, my answer changes all the time. Like sometimes I don't sleep much and I'm very cranky and I say it's horrible. Other times he's mm-hmm. uh, screaming his head off and inconsolable and I say it's even worse. And sometimes like today he just smiled at me and giggled a little bit and then I say it's actually amazing. <laughs> How's that been for you and um, for Cambo? How's the journey of parenting together been? Yeah, interesting. Um, it's already teaching us a little bit about about ourselves that we didn't know. Um, you know you, you know us both quite well and, and I, I reckon that we're pretty chilled and relaxed people but it turns out that we do have a breaking point and um, that uh, we're not as patient as, as I'd like to say but I think any parent would would have felt that test um you know um it definitely challenges you a bit and it's not all smooth sailing but it's been cool and uh like this week with miles he's been really cool so it's been a joy so good if i can only just imagine what that adventure would be like like we've just taken on the parenting journey of two cats and a dog and it's like every time i interview someone that's a father it's like there must be a new level of just surrendering and acceptance and recognizing that it's going to be imperfect like it's got to be the most like humbling journey and i I know you're early early stages but yeah sending you kudos brother yeah thanks and i suppose it's all new and it's going to continue to be new in fact we just had um this morning here we had a um a parenting like expert come and do a consult with us just sit with us and just share some insights and and mostly my when i asked them to come around i just said like help us to manage our own expectations like what's coming next because we just yeah. have no idea what's around the next corner or when that corner uh-huh. is. And um, and one thing that was like the big takeaway from now is that the kid is he's just like a little baby. Like he's got no self-regulation. And, and 
right now it's actually just about managing ourselves so like when he's upset or screaming or something like just try and be calm and just accept like don't mm-hmm. don't get too worked up about it because then that also works him up and um mm-hmm. it's just about about kind of being present and just trying to chill a little bit and understanding that he's just a kid like he's just a little baby so he's not doing anything wrong <sighs> how is life having left johannesburg and moving to the low felt when we met you were living in johannesburg and now uh, you seem to have uprooted your life how's that feeling living where you live yeah, so it's about a year and a half since we moved um, out of the big city down to to um, to near the Kruger National Park, which people might recognize as being like one of the biggest uh, or best safari destinations in the world. And mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of South Africans have an affinity for going on safari, going to the bush, as we say. And um, you know, being able to work online these days and having the flexibility to be able to have a home office and just jump on the internet and work with my team all around the country. It gave us the flexibility to be able to make that shift. And mm-hmm. yeah, now we're just surrounded by nature. I think a lot of um, international people think about people living in South Africa and think that maybe there's like giraffe and zebra walking around the house and and snakes in mm-hmm. the back garden. And most of the time that's not true. But with us, it is entirely true. So we, we're kind of wow. living like, it's it's really quite magical. And we're very blessed, like got beautiful views and it's just nature all around us. And um, it's really, really quite special. I can't wait to come back there and experience it with you. It looks like you can mountain bike and trail run all around your estate. And in a couple of minutes, you're almost in the Kruger National Park, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So from like a lifestyle lifestyle point of view, it's been really cool. You know, just being able to go, like if, if I want to go for a walk or take my bike out to go for a run, it's just a case of just opening the door and stepping outside and you're on the trails, like you're in nature already. You don't have to go anywhere. And, um, and the place that we live is nearly 800 hectares of wilderness. And there's a whole bunch of wild animals with the odd, um, I don't know, like things cruising through. Like we found some, um, dropping some, some poop of a leopard the other day. So I'm hoping to see that at some stage, but, um, yeah, they stay around and we've got all kinds of animals just like always around the house and always around like in the bushes. So it's Mm. really quite a different way of living. And so before miles, how often were you getting into the national park? Would you go for like a morning or how often did that happen in your world? Yeah. So the nice thing from where we are is like, um, we used to, previously we lived in Joburg, Johannesburg, and and it was like a, a trip to go on safari was, uh, we would have to make it at least a couple of days, pro- hopefully a week or longer, but now it's on yes. our doorstep so we can just pop in. And when uh-huh. we first moved down here, we would um, would do kind of like what what most people do is like you you go there as early as you can so that you can go in just after sunrise and that's when like a lot of the animals are active and you you have better chance of seeing stuff and you spend the entire day driving around looking for wild animals and you eventually at the end of the day you fall into bed and you exhaust it but now with it mm-hmm. being on our doorstep so close and being able to go whenever we like um, before miles then it means that we we have the flexibility to kind of like wake up on a Sunday and say ah. Oh, Let's go to the let's go on safari. Let's go to the park, and uh, we can drive mm-hmm. in and spend a few hours and come back like after lunch, and um, it's really really quite cool. But now, as you kind of alluded to with uh, the young baby, um, it's not as easy. Um, I don't know uh-huh. many new parents who would want to load their their young newborn kid into a car for for eight hours or m- multiple hours um, if they have right. to if they don't have to. 
but also you know down there is malaria at uh, there so we we're up on a mountain range which is quite a lot higher in, in elevation so we don't have malaria mosquitoes there's mosquitoes here but not malaria mosquitoes but down okay. lower elevation just down the hill by crew by the safari area then that is malaria so taking a okay. young kid there you know a lot of people do it and it's everybody's choice but it's it's a risk and we would rather kind of not expose him to that risk until later on until he's a bit bigger Hmm. I'd like to chat about your entrepreneurial success. Um, you've been pretty successful in the companies that you've created in the time that I've known you. And I think uh, we are second cousins. What is our relationship again? I always forget. We share. <laughs> so like a, a, my through, cousin married your cousin. Yes. Yeah, so your cousin married my late godmother, who's my aunt. So my dad's sister right. married your cousin. So we are related, yes. not through blood, but through some way. And um, yeah, we can call yes. each other cousins. <laughs> it's easier. So when I met you, you were running a business called Action Gear. Share what that was about and some of the like adventure that you had creating that business. What did you love about it? What were some of the challenges with it? And then we can move from there into what you're creating at the moment. Yeah, thanks. So it was a big chapter of my life because um, it kind of started in like that journey began in 2008 where Camilla, who was at the time my girlfriend, now wife, who and I wanted to go uh, from South Africa, go up to see a first world country and experience like a different life, different life, some travel and get some work experience and earn some foreign currency. So we ended up in London. And when I got there, I didn't have a job and the rent was coming up and kind of needed to get a job to pay the rent. And so we're like, as you do, you kind of hustling to try and go to as many interviews as you can and the one job which really appealed to me was this e-commerce job because it was like a small team of people where I would work closely with the founders and I could learn from them. The one challenge was that I didn't know the first thing about e-commerce. But when they okay. interviewed me and, and asked me, I was kind of like talk myself up a little bit. And maybe they just liked me, but they, they did offer me the job and very quickly found out that not only did I not know about e-commerce, I didn't even know how to type. So it was a bit of a problem. <laughs> But, uh, but they, they, they saw past that and thankfully they kept me on. And through uh -huh. those two, two wonderful guys who became mentors and are still friends with friends of mine today, I learned about e-commerce and selling online and importing and distributing and um, digital marketing and what it takes to build and run a successful online business. And uh, throughout that journey of working kind of very closely with them and that business overseas was just exploding. That it was just doing so well, like the perfect time with the products that they were selling and also perfect timing with e-commerce across Europe just expanding. And that was like 2008, 2009, early into 2010. But throughout that mm -hmm. journey, I was kind of looking back like we were never going to stay there permanently. And I was looking back at my home country of South Africa and, and knowing that the market was wide open for the taking. Like there was very few players. Um, and the ones that were active were not really doing it as well as what I was seeing overseas. And so mm -hmm. it kind of uh, teed me up to be able to move home with the experience that I'd gained and still having access to those old bosses who remained mentors to me and being able to launch my own online business, which was originally called Action Cameras. It later changed to Action Gear. And it was an online retailer of sports electronics, um, GoPro cameras, sports watches, binoculars, drones, and all kinds of fun things, like kind of things that I just wanted to have and play with myself, which maybe is partly <laughs> why I love it so much. 
Was that what you were selling in the UK? Was that the original input? Were they selling that type of co- that content as well, that gear and stuff? Absolutely. The so they uh, that company before the GoPro camera was really on the market. We together with them, they had this idea to sell helmet cameras. Where originally okay. when I started with them. The stockroom was a giant mess because it was a whole bunch of cables and battery packs. And literally, we were taking these little uh, bullet-sized uh, camera. They were called bullet cams with a cable running into like a transformer into a battery backpack and then a recording device. And so okay. we were selling this as a pack together with the backpack because guys who went mountain biking or skiing with it had to carry like extra batteries and cables and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was the original kind of what became GoPro. And... Then when the GoPro came out and became so popular, this very small company in the UK secured the European distribution rights because of its positioning in that market already. Okay. And that company just exploded. So when I joined, there was um, joined that UK company. It was uh, the two founders and one crazy French guy who was like a big freestyle skier and smoked a lot of weed. And, and that was a team. Then the day that I joined, they hired me and this other guy from Brazil. The, the one founder was Punjabi Indian, but um, educated at Oxford in England. And the other guy was Dutch, also educated okay. at o- Oxford. So it kind of sounded like a joke where the five of us would go to a bar and it was like an Indian, a Dutchman, a Frenchman, <laughs> a Brazilian, and a South African walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> All being recorded. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and it was a really fun time. But that team those original five we like called ourselves like the the originals and and the team just exploded like by the time i left after two and a half years i think it was like close to 30 people in the company and the the revenue was exceptional and uh it was such a profitable business that we were going on like um we were going to retreat to uh to colorado then like a few weeks later we go back and go to vegas and we go to hong kong for like a trade show and um it was a really fun time just to see a business thriving and to be able to um, kind of be very close to the founders and, and just be able to discuss things. So big decisions that they were making, I was able to just be part of those conversations. And it really gave me a lot of confidence to be able to do it myself. And that confidence was bolted by the fact that in 2009, while still in England, um, one of my bosses actually entered me into the HSBC Business Awards. And I ended up winning the the prize for being London's Outstanding Young Business Person of the Year for 2009 in the HSBC wow. Business Awards, which was pretty cool. And that, together with my new experience, kind of gave me a lot of confidence to come back to South Africa, middle 2010, and start my own business, selling GoPros and the other cameras and the other products that I'd seen being successful. And yes, I had the blessing of my old bosses, so they knew that I was doing and they supported me. And uh, and then, yeah, that was a journey that kind of teed me up nicely to be able to do it on my own and to grow that business. But I had the one challenge that between leaving England and arriving back in South Africa, Camilla and I went backpacking and we spent all of our money around the States and on all these travels, having a wonderful time. But that meant that instead of arriving home with a whole bunch of foreign currency to be able to start a business, I had like next to nothing. And Cam, Camilla had to go and move in with her parents. (laughs) I had to move back in with my parents. And and that's where I kind of like in their spare bedroom would wake up in the morning, make the bed, and then start packing parcels on the bed from my online orders that are coming through the night. I had a little desk in the corner and it was just me and like processing, like trying to arrange imports and um, getting things cleared through customs, receiving the stock, breaking it up, trying to put it in the cupboard next to my underwear. 
and then um, kind of taking it back out the cupboard and packing orders in the afternoon and meeting the courier and sending it off and making sure that everything was done. But those early days, because I knew which products would sell well, having seen it overseas and I knew how to market it, it just accelerated my success like exceptionally to the point where uh, in, in not too uh, short a space of time, I was able to have built a team, moved out of, uh, out of my parents' house, Cam and I bought a, our own place. And um, w- with the team that I had, we moved into a new office building and we were able to build like quite a big successful e-commerce business for our country, which continued to grow over the next couple of years. So good. So when you're off back and you're, you're bootstrapping this company, do you get any investors? Do you go so low? How did you manage to get it going? I know you kept your costs low, but to buy that stock and to get that all going, did you take a loan or did you get some investors or how did you flow and grow the business? Yeah. So at the time I, d- um, I, had, I didn't even look for investors because it was like, I didn't have much credibility then. Um, maybe I could have, but I also wanted to do it organically and, and I was confident that I could. So the, after the backpacking um, expense, and just having a great time overseas, I had um, a little bit of 8,000 Rand, which meant that I could buy four GoPro cameras with import duties and I could bring okay. those four in. And my goal was sell those four and then I could buy six and then sell those six and I could buy 10 and then sell those 10 and then I could buy 15. And that was literally okay. what I was doing. It's just kind of rolling it back into inventory. And wow. also back, I had no marketing budget. So even though I, I knew how to do digital marketing, my money, the, all the cash was going back into inventory. Thank goodness I didn't have rent. I wasn't paying myself or anybody a salary. So my only expense back then was um, literally a few website fees and my cell phone bill. Everything else I was okay. just doing advertising, like going into forums online, joining Facebook groups relevant to it and just connecting and trying to do word of mouth and going to any market that I wouldn't have to pay for and, um, okay. and just, just doing it uh, kind of what, I suppose what them kids are calling the hustle. And, um, <laughs> there it gets, yeah, yeah, I just grew it organically. Thankfully, I was able to do it that way without having to take investors. But later on, um, I did end up, um, one of my first employee actually ended up becoming a partner in the business and he bought in, um, and he was a great asset to the team. And later on, like many years later, like 2015, 16, 17, then that's when we started selling shares and taking on various different investors from different reasons, from expansion reasons, from capital reasons. And that's where it's kind of like became much, much more like a proper, more established business before I eventually sold my final shares, um, 2017 and kind of, um, saw myself exit out of that business. What were some of your challenges in that business? What, what was the hard part for you there as that started to grow? So. What I enjoyed the most was selling products and dealing with our customers. And I suppose that came down to the fact that I really enjoyed the products that we sold. Like I loved them. I wanted to play with them myself. myself. And then our customers were similar to me. Like they, they came in to buy a GoPro or a set of binoculars or something that we sell. And then we'd end up chatting for an hour about like where they're going on. They're going on a 4x4 safari trip or they're going uh, mountaineering or they're doing something. And everybody's just everybody that I dealt with was just really my type of person. So I really enjoyed that. And as a business grew, I started having less exposure to the products and to the customers. And I started doing more like team management and people management and HR issues and uh, financial stuff. And I found that weeks would go by without me playing with a new, with a new product that came in or 
weeks would go by without me engaging with the customers that I really enjoyed because of the fact that I was like stuck at a desk looking at spreadsheets. And that became an issue for me. Like it, it took the, the fun out of it. Like this was supposed, I suppose work isn't supposed to be fun, but it can be fun. And I really like that about it. And it, it really right. took that, uh, that it kind of took the, the joy out of it. Like um, I was just stuck behind a closed door dealing with HR issues and financial uh, spreadsheets. And that wasn't too much fun for me. And that growth path required growing a team. How was that journey for you? Like, had you had any experience? I know you've been part of a team. Had you properly led a team before? Like, what has that journey been like? Because I recognize that in, I think as men, many of us get this opportunity to, we're called to lead when, when we're doing something. And I think recognizing that we are leaders is a skill that we can develop and our success in the area that we've chosen to stand up and say yes is a function of our ability to be able to connect with and motivate people. So how was that journey for you in the early days of um, Action Gear? Yeah, so that's always been a challenge and I think it's, it is the same for everybody. Um, for me, more so just because my, my, my style of leading is more to converse with people and to kind of work with them. And, and I see other leaders are kind of are, want are people to stand up and shout commands and, and to kind of motivate people that way. And I, I don't know if one way is better than the other, but um, this is how I do it. And for me, it works really well with like a smaller team where I can actually get to know people and understand that when they're talking to me, I can hear the tone in their voice. Maybe something's wrong or I need to pry a little bit more or, um, or something's going right and I can hear it in their voice. And having that personal connection for me is really good. And with my previous company, as a team got bigger and bigger, I felt that that was also a disconnect. Like I didn't, like sometimes like people would come and, and it was a, like, I didn't even know who, who that person's name was. I was like, when did they get you? It's like, because like the team was growing quite rapidly. I was like, I should know who these people are. But um, so that was quite yeah. fun at one level, but it also meant that my style wasn't aligned to that. So I suppose one takeaway that I saw is that I needed to learn and adjust, but also that was as, as kind of like um, my time in that company was coming to an end. So it, it was an interesting journey to kind of see where my own shortfalls are or where my strengths are and to kind of know which way to lean in that regard. So your, your sweet spot for leadership is a smaller team where you get to know people directly. You would say that would be the yeah, style say, if you were to. I would say. Yeah. And, and I suppose as my current company grows, like being aware of that, the way that I want to expand it is to have people where I – so to have levels, not not in a hierarchical way, but to say that as people come on, that if they aren't working directly with me, then they aren't working directly with me. Then somebody else must look after them. And I then don't okay. feel the responsibility to to need to get to know them because I would trust that the person who is my point of contact is uh, is stronger, stronger in terms of a relationship with that person. So then it okay. kind of works in my favor where I have my core and those are my people. And then everybody else kind of like, is not uh, kept at arm's length from me by, by any means at all, but rather in terms of playing to my strengths, I'll build it out like that. Mm, interesting. And how, how big was the team at Action Gear at the time of your exit? Was it how many people were part of that crew? So they ended up, uh, to, we ended up having a few other businesses that were kind of like in a, in a group. So we had a drone repair company, we had a drone training company and a drone servicing company because drones really became a big focus towards uh, in the later years of that business because we had the import rights for it, for DJI, which is like one of the best drone brands in the country, in the world. 
And um, so across all of those different things, I think we were looking at about 25 to 35 people, depending on on where it was on the journey. But um, mm-hmm. it was a, not, a, not a massive team by any means, but it's a good group of people. And how did you manage that? Did you have this like layered structure then or were you just running around? How would you say that you managed that team? Because you were actively part of most of those businesses, right? Um, not actively part of them. So in, uh-huh. some of them I had no parts at all apart from my shares. But um, my partner, David, who he would uh, he, he was a great ideas guy and great at execution. So he would just like have an idea, we would ch- kick around the idea of a cup of coffee and then he would run with it. And uh, I really loved that about him because he could really just like make something happen. And so um, I felt confident in him to just like kind of take the lead on those projects. Good. If you were to describe what, a, what made that business successful, what were the things that you did that made that business successful, Action Gear? Like what are the things that you would pinpoint as like pivotal moments, attributes that you embodied or decisions that you made that saw that business succeed the way that it did? Yeah, cool. Nice question, actually. Um, so I think, you know, what I think people might have heard is that I had a passion for those products. And now I know what gets us in a bit, but I teach e-commerce and I tell people like it's so much easier to be successful with a range of products that you are passionate about yourself. And that beyond just wanting to play with the products that you sell, like that seems a bit um, kind of basic. But the thing is that when we are like in an e-commerce world with that action gear store or any of my students today, you are in a world that you're competing against some of the biggest retail giants in the world. And more and more of the big sophisticated retailers are making a bigger and bigger play into e-commerce. And so I really feel that the success of that company came through the passion of myself and my colleagues for the products that we sold. And that was clear to be seen when customers would come to us because they were looking for a product, let's say like a GoPro camera, where you could have bought that at any high street shop. Any of the big retailers had them on their shelves, but the customer has some questions. They want to know like, is it suitable for what I want to use it for? What accessories do I need? Like, do I need a spare battery? Um, what size memory card? What size uh, speed memory card? Like all these intricate questions where those big retailers, they had training, but the training wasn't at the depth that we had. And because uh, we were teaching ourselves through playing with the things. And so customers would come to us and they would ask all those questions and we could give them answers. And not only would we answer their questions, we would say, well, you know, geez, if you're going to use it for your reason, you probably also want to get this thing, which is going to make it so much cooler for you. And we would like get so excited and people would love it. And they would walk out the door with exactly what they need, as well as a whole ton of advice. And if they've kind of had a good experience in the meantime. And Mm. that passion for your products was I feel what made that company successful. And I feel for anybody selling anything online, like sometimes it's it's not everybody knows what they're passionate about, or maybe they can't see how they could make money off that. But it is so much easier to do that. And going back to the fact that you're competing in a world where like all the big retailers are selling mostly what everybody else is selling. So why would a customer choose my store or your store over it, over over a big retailer? And the answer is that they come to a smaller store for um, product expertise and guidance on what they want to buy. Like if you, mm-hmm. I know that you love your photography and mm-hmm. if you're looking to buy a new, like a uh, big digital camera and a lens, like it's tempting mm-hmm. to go to Amazon and to go and look for a good deal. Yeah. In that purchase process, you probably have some questions of like, um, like what size lens do I need? Um, is mm-hmm. it mirrorless or mirrored camera or, um, I don't even know the questions that you would ask, but you would have questions. Right. 
and yeah. go to Amazon and find a deal like that, that doesn't answer your question. So you might go to B&H or another like, like dedicated camera store where you can speak to somebody or just look on their website and read the reviews and stuff and find out through their guidance what it is that you need. And that's mm-hmm. where like product expertise and product passion really separated my business from the big retailers and led us to be like we were the biggest GoPro seller in the country and later we were the biggest drone seller in the country. And it was really because people just love dealing with us because we had the answers and we were passionate about what we sold. So good. So why did you decide to get out of that business if it was doing so well? Where did you get to in your personal journey that made you want to step back from that business that you had created? So a couple of things were going on there. And one was that it was as I'm like the team was expanding and and I kind of saw that my management wasn't like the best fit that I wanted. And I was also being stuck into spreadsheets and HR issues. So I wasn't really loving it that much. Um, there was an investor that Management came, meaning your management style or the team that you had around you? Uh, my management style. Yeah. Okay. But um, then we also had a, a particular investor who came in, into our company because he was making a massive play into the drone space. And he was okay. a very bullish guy who it seemed like a good idea to work with him in the beginning, but very quickly, like even though he wasn't a majority shareholder, he was making a lot of calls um, as if he was the majority shareholder. And okay. I didn't quite enjoy that. And so together with my financial spreadsheets and my HR issues and this, this individual who was kind of pushing the business in a direction that I wasn't that keen on, um, it kind of led me to, you know, the, the idea kind of popped into my mind that maybe this was time for me to move on to my next venture. And, um, and it worked out well because that guy ended up offering to take on my shares. And, uh, and okay. so as I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable and thinking about stepping away, then it, it just aligned nicely that this guy wanted to buy me out. And, um, and that was like the, the sign for me to say, actually, this is the right time to make that transition. What a sweet exit. I think I knew that, but that sounds amazing. So what do you do then? You decide that you're going to travel the world for a bit or go on an adventure? Well, um, question. no, so I don't know. Like what I wanted to do at that stage was to get the next um, business up and running before going on another like adventure or going and and taking a lot of time off because um, I'm not one to sit on my hands by any means, but also there were, there was something interesting that happened. Like actually with that company action gear, one thing I didn't mention was that in 2015, we, we won a, a, quite a significant award. There, there was an annual e-commerce awards, which that was actually the last year that it happened, to be honest. Um, but it used to be every single year on the calendar was a big event in the e-commerce industry. And our business won the top award for best customer service in the country. And that kind of speaks to what I was saying earlier. Like we loved our customers, we loved our products, we gave our customers a good experience. And then we won the award off the back of that. Wow. And the reason I'm mentioning that now is that when we won that award, we got um, a lot of good publicity and press people. And w- off the back of that, people started coming to me, like friends and people that are kind of new as acquaintances. They were coming to me and saying like, okay, Warwick, like I see you're doing well in e-commerce. Like, how do I um, how do I take payments or which website platform should I use? Or like, if I use a courier, like can I trust them and who should I partner with? And I recognized all the questions that they were having because these were the exact same questions that I had had myself when I started that company in my parents' spare bedroom in 2010. Right. But now yeah. many years later, like people still had the exact same challenges and it kind of frustrated me. It's like, well, isn't there education or isn't there community or mentorship or training or support or anything to help these guys to make 
to to kind of make the right decisions and to not have to find out the answers to this question the same way that I did, where it was like through trial and error and just figuring stuff out and trying different service providers and seeing which ones worked and which ones let you down. And um, and so that kind of planted an idea in my head. And it was actually, um, it was actually you who gave me the idea or explained this idea of online education. And I think we'll get to that in a second, like how that happened. But but with that idea in my head of this, that that people who have experience and experience and expertise in a particular topic could put together an online business and kind of take their best training into and put it into digital products. That thought together with the the, the problems and the questions that I kept seeing from the e-commerce market kind of bubbled to the surface as this idea for an academy where I can teach e-commerce to South Africans, people who are struggling to make it online or to get started, even those who are already up and running, like how do you improve your website, get more traffic and convert more traffic to paying customers. And um, and so that's where when I exited Action Gear 2017, then I immediately knew what I wanted to do and got started straight away with building and launching the Insaka e-commerce academy where we have now grown over the last couple of years to significantly be the dominant player in e-commerce education in Africa. It's been such a remarkable journey to watch. I've really enjoyed, yeah, watching that business unfold and um, the success that you've had with it. So let's let's talk about our Jovic to Kili trip um, as the in-betweener, because that was sort of somewhere in between Action Gear and actually going sort of full-time with, uh, with Insaka. It, it was kind of like towards my towards the end of my my time at Action Gear. So the, our our cycle trip happened in 2016. So it was at a cool time in that business actually, where the team and the systems and the processes and the SOPs were all looking after the business, which gave uh, me and my wife the opportunity to say, well, actually, maybe it's time to take a sabbatical and don't, go and do something cool, because there's so many people who do amazing things like climbing Everest or rowing across oceans, or even if it's just climbing your nearest mountain, like even these micro adventures. Um, there's so many people who do cool things and I've had a great privilege of meeting many of them and any of them that give me a time or a chance, I'll always ask the same question. And I I used to ask him like, what makes you different? Like, how can you do something like that? It's so cool. It's so out out there. Like what's different between you and normal people. And every single one of them just looked at me and they're like, I'm I'm not normal. I just decided to do it and then did it. And it was so simple. And I was like, Okay. Okay. So, so that means that if I decided to do something, like I could do it, and they're like, "Yeah, you could do that." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no one gives you a permission slip to do it, right? No one's exactly. saying like, "You can row across the ocean." Look. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Cam and I kicked around a few ideas of what we could do. Like, what if we were to, to take on an adventure? What would that be? And uh, we had always wanted to do um, Kilimanjaro, but like it seemed a bit boring to kind of get in a in a airline and fly from Johannesburg up to Kilimanjaro and then climb the mountain like the mountain's challenging but flying there seemed a bit like everybody else is doing that so that's where we combined that with our love of cycling and decided to cycle single speed bikes up Africa and that's where you heard about it and joined us up uh, joined in with us as well as uh, our your good friend who became our good friend also Derek yeah. who decided to ride with us and the four of us um it was end of June 2016 cycled our way out of Johannesburg heading north and kind of spent a good couple months on those bicycles going through all kinds of cool things but I'm sure many stories jump out for you also so like what were some of your highlights from that trip hmm it was such a 
it was such a remarkable time and it's like that it was such a big challenge in many ways like 5000 kilometers on a single speed bicycle was yeah the initial goal when you first heard about it i think we had we had a at your folks house having lunch i'd been there with my folks i was back in south africa at the time and our lives had sort of crossed one another i bought an action camera from you a few years earlier and our worlds had sort of moved into each other's spheres but not necessarily spent a lot of time together i'd come back to south africa to sell my stuff having been on a two-year adventure and um realizing i wasn't going to live in johannesburg anymore and i remember you saying oh this is what we're doing and i was like i'd like to do that and in that moment of saying it i was like every part of me went no 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 it's too far it's too long you haven't got 10 weeks like there were all these reasons as to why i wasn't going to do it but it was such a remarkable experience it was like the question of what is what was the most fun thing there was just so many things that we did there and i think one of the things that stands out for me is just being able to sit around a fire every single night i think we were on the road for like 75 days or something and i think almost every single night we made a fire and sat around it in a different location in Africa. Some of them super beautiful, some of them like on the side of the road or just <laughs> so maybe not so beautiful, but yeah, all remarkable in some way. And just having conversations with our team, there was you and me and Cambo and Derek riding bicycles and the two support crew that were, yeah, supporting us to be able to ride these bikes was just, we got to see so much of Africa and something about driving in Africa subsequently because Derek and I drove back but there's something about being on a bicycle where you're connected to additional senses of like the sound and the smell and the ability to speak and engage with people along the side of the road that you don't have in a car I think that was the highlight for me of that trip eh? just being yeah. so immersed in Africa yeah I love that because like you know when you're in a car you go through a village at like 100 k's an hour and it's, it's a yeah. blur and maybe you look out the window and maybe you don't but on the bicycle, yep. we would ride in, we'd sit under a tree, we'd try and find a Coke. Most of the time, the Cokes were warm. I don't know why they loved it like that. Or there's just no electricity, one of the two. And, uh -huh. yeah, I'll get to meet some children. Like, I remember you and I trying to shake hands with a person who had never seen a, a, a white person in their life. And the guy was terrified of us. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a beautiful experience. And, um, yeah, I found the, the Kilimanjaro hike to be pretty tough. I On the morning of getting up to walk up there, like, I was pretty like out of it it was i think the altitude sickness got me a little bit but yeah it was such a such a beautiful experience and i'm so grateful that you offered us the opportunity to come along and uh, to have those nights of sitting around the fire to get to know you and camilla and the, the crew that was on there was amazing yeah thanks man and um, we're really grateful that you that you asked to come you know we were we were prepared to go on our own because we thought nobody else would be crazy enough to come with us and it, it worked out really nasty that you did <laughs> And, uh, and of course, kind of switching, yeah, so, you know, also going into these random villages and like setting up camp on the football field and watching these children, like kind of marvel at the fact that a bag, which is on the ground can be unpacked and become a tent. And they were just like, mm -hmm. they were in awe, like their heads were just exploding. They just didn't know what to do. And to meet like, you know, in deep Tanzania, like in the Maasai land to actually meet people who were like just living off the land. And like those traditional guys, I think you see them, like maybe everybody's seen them on TV or on a documentary, like with a red um, blanket over their shoulders, standing on one leg with a spear and, um, and just a big smile across their face. Like I was so mm -hmm. incredible to, to do that. 
so to be a tourist, but to not do it in a touristy way. Like we were not going to tourist markets and, and experiencing it like that. We were actually going mm-hmm. into those places. And also just the how welcoming and friendly and generous those the people that we came across were. Um, in Malawi, right. which is one of the, I think it's the third poorest country in the world. And like often people would offer us food. We're like, God, it's like you, we, we're okay. Like you have the food. And they were just so generous. Right. Like, for them, it was an honor and a privilege to have guests in their town or in their village. And they wanted to look after us. And it was just so wonderful. Um, like, and their smiles are just such a friendly group of people. And, um, and also the, like conversations and having time just to talk in depth about stuff. And I, I alluded to it earlier, but that is where you around a fire one night was talking about online businesses and these course creating ideas. And, and that's where kind of the, the, the idea planted for me to start the business that I'm in now. So like, I'm very glad that you came on that cycle trip. <laughs> <laughs> You've done lots of crazy stuff in your life, like long adventure races and ultra marathons and this 10 weeks on a bicycle that you and I have been talking about now. What is that? Like, how do you... What makes those things doable for you? What are the characteristics that you need to embody to get a, a big adventure like that done? And why do you do it? Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been a big fan of doing the, um, kind of the, the bucket list event for each different discipline of sport that I go into. So, like, for instance, we got into triathlon and wanted to do an Ironman. So we ticked that box and I'm very proud of my time. Then we went into cycling and did very like did reasonably well in road cycling and still race mountain bikes. Um, when I got into running, we did the, the Comrades Road Marathon, which is an 89 kilometer race through South Africa. It's a very popular one here. I've done that a few times and even in the trail running scene, I got into, you know, always want to go for the biggest. So the biggest mm-hmm. trail running in our country is a race called Skyrun, 100 kilometers through the mountains, self-supported. Um, and finished that in just under 24 hours. So very happy with that too. And I suppose with those things together with like planning a, the, the big cycle trip, I kind of always find that I need something big to look forward to and to train towards. Um, otherwise, okay. I just kind of get a little bit complacent. So I'm, I'm forever trying to find the next big thing that's going to almost scare me into training and being fit and healthy and those things are also wonderful ways to meet people and to see different parts of the country or the world. And it's just part of my passion. Hmm. So good. And what do they give you? What is, what is doing those things give you except a reason to train? Is there like a, you see that benefit spilling across into other areas of your life? So to answer the question of what the event gives me, um, like I'm, I'm a big believer in, in making memories, especially with like with people that I love and, and friends. And like you and I are connected forever because of that 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 thing we did, right? And right. When I did Skyrun, like the two mates that I ran with from start to finish. We trained together beforehand. We traveled down together. We traveled back together. Like those are solid memories. And I feel like that's it's a great thing for me as a gift, but also in terms of building friendships that don't just go away. Like those are that's there forever. Like that's what it gives me. But um, it also does kind of flow over into the rest of my life in terms of a lot of these events I do with Camilla, my wife. So that's really a nice bonding experience for us. Um, like she, she was also on those single speed bikes going up Africa. So kudos to her. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's also part of like, just, it's almost got to the habit where, or to the point where training and doing big races and entering races and looking for the next thing, it's just part of who we are. And I like that because it's not a decision of, should I go for, should I go for a run or should I go training? It's like, am I going to run or ride? 
So the habit is kind of entrenched. And I suppose if I even kind of take it a a level deeper, it's part of my identity, you know. Um, It's like I am a person who does these big things or do those big races and I'm capable of doing it. So it's part of what I want to present to the world or what I'd like to present to the world. And, yeah. um, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, like being a fit, strong, healthy person who can compete at a good level, not at a professional level, but like at a, at a group level, an age group level. And yeah, I really, I really do enjoy it. Which has been the toughest for you? Where do you, do you have a moment where you've suffered the most, like being in the bottom of the pain cave, the hardest, which one is, what stands out for you? Uh, the only time I've come close to pulling out of any race ever was in the last few kilometers of Ironman. So I had successfully swum a good a good 4.2 kilometer swim. I did really well in that. Got on the bike, felt good through a 180 kilometer cycle, and then got on the run, which is 42Ks, a full marathon. And just towards the end, um, in the second half of that marathon, I started drinking Coke. And any anybody who does endurance sports, you know, as soon as you start having a sugary drink, you need to keep topping up. Otherwise, your sugar is going to dip really quick. And so I was having Coke at every single water point, which were coming by quite quickly. And at the one water point, I was, I was tired and somebody offered me a potato covered in salt. And I was just like, I just marveled at how delicious this thing was. And I was just jogging by. And I, <laughs> before I knew it, I'd missed the table without having my little cup of Coke. And I was like, don't worry, the next water point's around the corner. And that's uh, next kilometer and a half was probably the, the hardest and longest kilometer and a half in my life because my sugar levels did drop and I went hyperglycemic. So I had like, it felt like I had lightning or electricity in my fingers, my face, everything. And I just started, as soon as I could see the water point in the distance and I was walking at this stage, feeling like I was going to have to go to hospital. And I just started shouting ahead to some poor student who was manning the Coke table. And I was just like shouting, bring me Coke, bring me Coke. <laughs> this poor student was so nervous or like so i i've I, I put that by the time he had run a cup of coke to me it was empty because he had shaken all over the place it's like go get me more <laughs> but um that was like the deepest or the the toughest where i was at the end of a race which had taken me a good i, I was a good 11 hours into this by now and i was uh-huh. a few kilometers from the finish and i almost had to actually bail out and, and i was i was thinking i need to go to hospital right now but thankfully wow a cup and a half of coke and i was back i was fully back and i could jog myself to the finish line and um and claim my, my iron man trophy there <laughs> how was your iron man time what was it again it was 8 20 uh, 11 20 not 8 jeez 11 23 which um 11, which for an age grouper i was very happy Good with time. That. yeah yeah cool yeah so let's take a step back into um to this next adventure that you take on the insaka e-commerce academy so filled with the, the questions and opportunities of people wanting to set up online stores and your skill sets of having built and now exited Action Gear, you decide to start this this new adventure and where do you begin? You just build a website and start promoting it? Like how does that unfold into your life? So I am a big believer in um, working with coaches in in sport or in business on personal levels and I'm always in coaching no matter what. And so when I came into this business, I knew that I knew a lot about my area of expertise being e-commerce, but I didn't know too much around launching a, an online education business. And so I went on the hunt to try and find the best coach that I possibly could. And so I found uh, my coach, James Wedmore, who's based in the, in the States, and just de- devoured all of the coaching and training that he could share with me. 
And, um, and I just used his programs to be able to build out a structure that I could then take to my audience or to my growing audience, because at the beginning I didn't have a following in this, in this regard. And, yeah. um, but I also learned how to do that. So how to get my messaging out to more people, how to attract the right folks to what I wanted to share with them, how to structure that in a way that is going to have the biggest impact and be able to scale at the biggest level so that I can serve and help more and more people. So that's how I started. Went straight into a coaching program, learned how it works, you know, take from the best. There's no no reason to reinvent the wheel. And um, and I just took the advice of somebody who knew what they were doing in this in this industry of online coaching and uh, was able to just take their advice and execute on that. It's such a powerful, such a powerful lesson. And I think I'm grateful to you for connecting me with James Wedmore as well, because he's been such an important piece of my journey as well to get clear on some of the pieces that I, I don't know what I got stuck into. There was a, a story running in my head that was like, ah, oh, I've read these two books. I'm good. Like I'm going to figure this out on my own. And I, I had spent way too long trying and figuring it out on my own instead of the short path, which was like wrapped up in some story that coaching would be too expensive for me. And as a result, I ended up taking a long time to get to a place where my business was actually getting to a place where it was profitable to keep going. And um, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Is that, how did you learn that? Is that just something that came into your reality? Or I mean, it, it makes perfect sense, I guess, when I look back in hindsight, but I, some people don't do that. I guess you see it in the online store space. It's like, no, I don't need to invest whatever the money is to train with you. I'll figure it out myself. Like, what is that in people? Yeah, so I, I see that all the time. Is like, you know, people look at um, a lot of my free resources, which are super helpful, and then they look at my paid program, and they're like, I know that that's valuable and that'll help me, but uh, I'm, I don't know if it's if it's too expensive. And like, I truly believe it when I tell them that this is an investment because it's not only going to help you make more money and pay off what you paid for the program. But really what it's going to help you to do is just save time because there's a learning curve that you need to go through with anything that you do, whether it's being a parent for the first time, which is why I had a parenting consultant here this morning, um, yep. or if it is learning to build an online store, or if you want to learn how to um, service your own vehicle or whatever it is, there's a learning curve. Right. And that learning curve takes time but you can shorten that time frame by getting access to the best people's advice. And, you know, if you look at bookshelves, like my bookshelf, there's advice from some of the leaders in business in the world. I've got like every single book from uh, Richard Branson and so many others where they've sat down and they've like taken the time to take their best ideas and put it on into a book. And then they sell that and you can buy like Richard Branson's thoughts. It's amazing. And so that's really great. And, and online courses is like the next evolution of buying books because you have these experts in gardening, in parenting, in online business, in servicing your own car or in any niche or niche that you could think of that's imaginable. And if you want to go through that learning curve, why take the long route? Why not put some money down and accelerate your learning curve so that you save time? And that's like the one thing that I just, like we all know that that's limited. So in business specifically, where it's not just a hobby, where this is your way of generating a revenue, it is an investment. If you follow the steps and action it correctly and the coach is a good coach, then you should see like way more income through your business in a much shorter space of time rather than um, kind of like limping along and, and getting there in the end. Because I believe that even my students, I say like, you can probably figure it out. It's just going to take you a long time. Or right. I can tell you what hurdles to avoid and how to avoid them. And I can give you the best insights and I can tell you exactly what's going to work and exactly what's not going to work. So you can figure that out yourself and you're going to pay a lot of school right. fees doing it that way. Whereas you can 
kind of invest those school fees into my training up front and then you're going to see success faster so for me it's like to say it's a no-brainer is is often i don't like saying that because it's a little bit condescending but i believe like it's a right decision to always be in coaching no matter what you're learning to do like just get advice from the best and accelerate your learning curve so good so besides um the branson books um what else do you recommend what's what's a book that's really changed your life if you have one in business and one in personal if, if that comes up for you like what's mm. what's been super relevant on your journey cool it does help that my bookshelf's just over here so i can glance across and see most of my favorites um <laughs> so, uh, a classic tim ferris in the four hour work week that was one that i read really early on in fact one, probably the very first business book that has to be mentioned here that I ever read was when I was 15 years old. Um, my late godmother, who married your cousin, um, yep. she gave me this book called Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I was like a very, like, I was a 15 year old who didn't know which way he was going to go in life. And that book landed in my hands. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a good idea. And that kind of sent me both on a journey of business uh learning how to do various businesses but also send me on this continual uh, personal development path where now i've got like endless books so from a personal development basis i think rich dad poor dad really teed me up and and kind of was a pivoting moment for me and from then on like some of my favorite books ah man yeah there's so so many um the one that's not here which i'm just uh, got to remember here is the the seven spiritual laws by deepak chopra mm. deepak chopra mm-hmm. yeah that's that's one on a personal level which i just feel that i could read it time and time and time again um and more recently i've been reading the conversations with god which is a mm-hmm. three-part book series um the author can't see it from here but the conversations with god and it's not a religious thing it, it kind of is but it kind of isn't and i'm not a religious mm-hmm. person but the messaging there is just so so good so good mm-hmm. and those are also books that i read the entire series and then started at the beginning again because it's just too good so i want to touch into something on e-commerce in south africa before i come back to some of your personal practices like what we're talking about now how is e-commerce uh, evolving in south africa like you are like right at the front of understanding the e-commerce trends in south africa um from what i've heard i haven't been back to south africa for a while but it sounds like Amazon's coming to South Africa. Is that good or bad for your business? I don't want to get a sense of, yeah, how you're positioning yourself over the next few years. Yeah, so Amazon coming here is is not ideal for like small growing e-commerce businesses because there's another major competitor coming in. But we already have another big competitor, which is in South Africa, which is called Take Lot. And they are, they've kind of in some ways replicated what Amazon's done. They've just done that model here. And now there's going to be Amazon plus Take Lot plus there's a bit of buy, which is, becoming bob group now and there's some really significant online players and the the smes and entrepreneurs are some of them are a little bit fearful of this big shift in the industry saying that there's more competition but for me i'm saying like the pie is getting bigger all you got to do is just make sure that you can get your piece of the pie and kind of right. my, my advice to them just kind of in the simplest form goes back to what i was talking about earlier where you focus on your product expertise your customer service knowing your niche and serving your audience in a passionate way and you will have your slice of the pie. So the industry is getting bigger. The fact that Amazon is coming here means that they believe, they've done their research and they see that the industry is big enough for them to come and still be profitable over the next couple of years. And if it wasn't the case, they wouldn't be coming here. 
the in, the interesting thing about our e-commerce industry versus the rest of the world is that it's still in its infancy. Like in the States right now, e-commerce as a percentage of total retail, 19% of retail happens online. Okay. 81 is still happening offline. And that's growing. Like in China, that 45% is online. 55 is offline. That That's significant. That's, okay. that's pretty mind-blowing. In South Africa, we're at 4.5%. 4.5% of so there's a lot of space. retail. Yeah, and we're on the same growth trajectory. But being here at the bottom tip of Africa, we have like a crystal ball. Um, not many people actually realize this, but like we have this crystal ball whereby we have the ability to look at the European markets and the American markets and the Australian markets and see what's working there. Because new trends always roll out there first before coming here. New products always become successful there before becoming successful successful here. Like where I was selling tons and tons of GoPro in Europe with my previous employers. And I was able to come here and be one of the, I think I was the first in Africa to be selling GoPro. So there was that delay. I could see that the product worked well there and I could come and execute it here. And we have this crystal ball to not have to test stuff. Like if we want to try out a new marketing strategy, you don't have to test it yourself. You can go and do some research in the in the US market to see if somebody else has been doing it and if it's been successful for them. It's much like reading the books of these experts where somebody else has done it ahead of us and we can avoid having to pay those school fees ourselves by just doing thorough research. And so we're in an interesting space with Amazon knocking on our door. They're going to be launching later this year. And in fact, your question kind of circled to like, how does this impact in soccer and my business? Well, it's very good actually because people are already asking, how can they learn to sell more on Amazon? And we have the education that's coming up. So we build in that education to serve them. I've also created a community called Amazon Seller South Africa, which is nearly at 10,000 members already. And they're not even here yet. So that is a great wow. um, community of people serving and helping one another. Also, to be honest, it's also a great pool of potential customers for my training. And right. on a different aspect, as a new opportunity, like another journey for me, is myself together with a uh, an entrepreneur who's built a very successful digital marketing agency in Santon, South Africa. Him and I are now doing a, a joint uh, joint venture where we are launching South Africa's first Amazon Ads Expert Agency. And Amazon Ads Expert Agency, so a social agency advertising specifically on Amazon. Yeah, so you know, many entrepreneurs and many businesses will rush to get their products onto Amazon. And once it's there, then there's an opportunity to do Amazon ads, to do PPC, to improve your SEO on Amazon, to get your products ranking higher. And the goal with this new agency that we're founding is, and it's already been founded, is that my partner, he's got the expertise and the experience and the team to build a successful agency. And I have a big audience, a big um, social following where I can take people's queries when people are asking me, where can they go to get help with advertising on Amazon? And I can say, great, well, here's this agency. They, they're experts. This is what they do. And so together, the hope is that we can build a wonderful offering that serves a bunch of businesses and we can really help people to have more success on Amazon. So good. Is that with Alan Reyes? I saw some photos of you on social with Alan. Um, that isn't with Alan, but we're doing some other stuff with him. Yeah, always like working. Okay. He's one of the Africa's best entrepreneurs ever. Love the guy. What are you guys doing together? Have you got stuff that you could share in this conversation about what you're creating? Uh, nothing formalized. Nothing, nothing to to out there just yet. But um, always looking to work with him. You know, he's he serves a wonderful vision of of helping people, much similar to what I'm doing through education and support. And of course, with them, 
they invest resources into a business as an incubator and uh, they are helping and facilitating the growth and success of so many businesses taking them from smes to very big successful businesses and where i can help him on an, on an e-commerce level with the hundreds of businesses that he owns if i can help to inject some e-commerce expertise into what they're doing then it's it's just going to help all of us to see our, our joint visions come come to fruition quicker so exciting and i can't wait to see what you uh, what you unfold in the next few years the last question I want to ask you is what, in addition to like your ability to recognize opportunities and to identify mentors and coaches to support you on that path, um, your personal fitness and health practice, what else do you have in your life as a personal practice that supports your success? So I'd love to answer that question with meditation because it has helped and served me so much in the past. But if I'm completely honest, uh, with the arrival of our um, young baby, that that practice and that habit has been a little bit kicked to the curb, because um, uh -huh. sleep is not as uh, as common as it used to be. It's not a good <laughs> excuse, but sometimes like meditating with a like meditating, you know, you get into your rhythm, and then a crying baby in the background kind of might just break that rhythm. Uh -huh. So it's been a bit disrupted. <laughs> but that's in terms of answering a question that has served me so well over the over so long just to be able to take some time out and to just kind of clear my mind and just kind of be for a while and just like mm -hmm. open myself up to receive answers about things that are in the back of my mind and i really actually now just talking about it just like i just feel that I, the urge to kind of get back into it as a, as a rhythm and a, as a habit as i used to be mm. So what's, I mean, maybe that's, maybe the answer is meditation, but where, is there anything else in your life that you identify as a, as a growth area? Like, where do you feel like you want to level up? If you look at the various parts of your life right now, is there anything that you're like, oh, this is something that I could actually level up? Um, yeah. The one thing I think that stands out for many people is um, financial acumen. So both in terms of business, like running and growing the finances of the business, understanding the strengths mm -hmm. and weaknesses of the balance sheet. That's something like, I've never really studied accounting and I know the importance of it. Like I have a pretty good okay. idea, but I could really improve that and I will. Okay. Um, but also in terms of an investment point of view to understand more about personal finances and um, how to invest, where to invest, which country to invest, which, which vehicles to invest in and, and how to manage the money so that it's not so that the day will come sooner again, like shortening the time frame of being able to, um, to be in a financial free situation where assets are, are pushing out passive income in a way that I can choose what I want to work on instead of needing to do so in a way. Mm. Who are you going on that journey with? Have you got some, a team of people around you there that are supporting you on that? Yeah. So again, I've, you know, me and my coaches. So, um, yeah. in there, there is a, there's a South African lady who is from, I think she's, I think she's from, uh, Britain. But she spent a lot of time in France and in Australia, so her accent is all over the place. A lovely lady called uh -huh. Anne Wilson, who is known internationally as, as the Wealth Chef. She has a Hay House. The Wealth uh, Chef. Yeah. Her book, which is by the same name, The Wealth Chef, is a, a best-selling book by the Hay House publishers. So it's a, she's, a, she's the real deal. And uh, she's a wonderful woman. And um, yes, I've, so her program just began, her Financial Freedom University. And I've just enrolled into that. And um yeah, okay. we, I've, we've actually done it before. So we, we, entered, we okay. enrolled into it in 2020 and I was just refreshing and learning more about it because it's always a, it's a never ending learning curve and evolution of 
what I need to learn and what I need to know also changes at different stages. So that's where we're going on that journey for that. And you say we, are you doing that with Camilla? You guys on that journey together? Yes. Yeah. So good. Well, bro, it's been so good hanging out and chatting. It's um, It's been a while since we connected in person and it's been uh, great to be able to share your story with our audience. What's the best way for people to get hold of you, to follow what it is that you're busy with and um, if they have any interest in understanding e-commerce or getting set up in an online store, I think it's pretty clear that you're the one to connect with. So how do people get hold of you? Yeah, thanks. So to get hold of us or to see exactly what we're all about, um, our website, it's insaka.co today which is www.insaka.co.za or ZA. Otherwise on YouTube, just search my name, Warwick Kearns, and um, find my channel, subscribe. And um, we're pushing out a lot of fantastic education and content there. And of course, all the YouTube stuff is absolutely free. Amazing, bro. Thank you so much. Thanks for being part of my life and for supporting me on so many amazing adventures like, yeah, the connections that you've supported me with in business. Obviously, we touched a bit on our African adventures, but um, I'm looking forward to when we can sit around a fire and have another beer together in person, bro. Absolutely. We've just um, we've just built a nice big um, fire pit outside here, so you'll have to come and visit us sometime. <laughs> I've got Africa calling. It's been like probably about five or six years since I was back, and something about coming back to South Africa is, is deeply calling me, so it might be uh, in the not-too-distant future. Awesome. Well, hit us up. Well, it'd be great to see you. Nice one, bro. Thanks so much for hanging out today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Ciao, bud. Thanks for spending some time with us today. We hope that you enjoyed the show. As men living in this world, we're called to lead in our families, organizations, and our own lives. Are you living as the type of leader that you would want to follow? What are your plans to develop and evolve your leadership? Welcome to Tribe by Father's Sons Brothers, a community of authentic leaders. Leadership books can teach strategies, but embodied leadership needs to be lived. The FSB tribe provides practical tools, a supportive community, and a safe place to evolve into the leader that you came here to be. Join the tribe and connect with an authentic group of men already embodying the change that we want to see in the world. If this sounds like a community that you want to be part of, go to fatherssonsbrothers.com forward slash tribe to find out more or check out the link in the show notes. See you next time.